hospitality is not just a nice idea. Hospitality is much more than a nice idea. I think that you will see through scripture, that's, we're going to use a lot of scriptures on this one, that it is actually a requirement. It's something that God very much wants us to do. Now, there are approaches to interpretation of the scriptures related to hospitality, and uh, there are three main ways of looking at hospitality, and I'm going to go through them quickly because two of them are wrong. We don't want to spend a lot of time on stuff that's wrong. The first one is that hospitality in scripture is a reflection of ancient Middle Eastern culture. Uh, you know, just, that's how people lived in, the, in the, those days, and uh, therefore it's not necessarily relevant for other cultures, okay? Uh, you know, they were hospitable back then, but they had to be, you know, because it was the Bedouin culture or it was the the uh, Palestine culture or whatever. And it's not relevant for the United States of America, especially in the 21st century. Hospitality was embedded in their culture. Um, but I think what we'll see is that when we look over the scriptures related to hospitality, the hospitality commands are actually universal instructions related to Christ-like living. Not just in an accommodation of Jewish or Semitic or Greek or Roman culture, but a part of walking with God. The second idea that is out there when people read these scriptures and want to interpret them is that hospitality, well, hospitality was a requirement, yes, but it was limited to accommodating traveling ministry. So when this is something that people who work with the Bible and, you know, interpret it, this is what people have come up with over the, over the centuries and so forth, that no, hospitality is really very, you know, not big and expansive and covering all the areas of your life. It's really meant to deal with traveling ministry in order to further the gospel. And so when, you know, they're talking about hospitality, that's what they mean. And I think that it's clear that, yeah, well, that is part of hospitality. And, you know, we do that on occasion. It's not a big part of our culture nowadays, but uh, it is definitely part of hospitality, but it is not the full breadth, the full width and the full understanding of hospitality that God wants us to have. The third, the third idea about hospitality, hospitality was, and is, I would say, a practical application of brotherly love among the members of the body of Christ. And this, this is the approach that we will be taking today, looking at the hospitality commands, and I'm going to call them that, the hospitality commands, which are found in uh, these three scriptures. You might just want to write them down. We'll come back to them, and we'll deal with them more thoroughly, but we're looking at Romans 12, verse 13, 1 Peter 4, verse 9, and Hebrews 13, verses 1 and 2. Hospitality as a command, just before we move on to a practice of believers, is also, interestingly enough, a requirement for positions of leadership in God's church. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. 
course, this is Paul writing to Timothy and talking to him about, I guess, kind of how do you, how do you deal with your congregation? Here's my, here's my advice to you, Timothy, or my command to you, Timothy. 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 2, Paul writes to him and says, Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be um, a deacon or an elder or someone who's you know, got a position of you know, doing X, Y, or Z in the, in the church. That's good. We need people like that. We need people to make the, the wheels turn. Those people are great. Now, verse 2, But the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. And it goes on, but I want to focus on hospitality. I don't know that if you ever really thought about that before, but when a person is considered for uh, leadership, uh, someone who is going to be kind of put out there, if you will, that is part of what is to be considered about someone. Are they hospitable? Take a look at Titus 1. Titus 1, verses 7 and 8. Along the same lines, instead of Timothy, it's Titus here. Since an overseer, and the word there I believe is bishop. I don't like using the word bishop, it makes me think of chess. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable. One who loves good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. One last one, 1 Timothy 5, verse 10. 1 Timothy 5, verse 10. All right, this one is talking about a requirement for someone who wants to seek church support. I don't know if you've ever connected the dots on this one, but it says, no widow may be put on the list of widows. This is the list of people who are getting help, financial or otherwise, from the church. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. And I remember that um, when Laura and I were at Ambassador, I remember Ambassador College, there was this college the church had, they brought people in, it was actually four years, like four-year version of ABC, what we have now. And uh, one of the things that was focused on, and any time they talked about leadership in the church, and you know, the idea that we're hoping that you people will go and become leaders in your local congregations, and a big part of that was be hospitable. And I remember one, one of the men who taught said, the first thing you need to do when you get married is buy a kitchen table. You know, I thought, what? <laughs> what? Yeah, no, it's buy a kitchen table. And his reason for that was, because then you can invite people over. Okay, now let's get to the hospitality commands. I'm trying to do a comprehensive on, on hospitality here. The hospitality commands begin in Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 13. Short verse, it says, Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And it's very easy to kind of breeze through a straightforward statement like this, uh, instruction to practice hospitality and consider, okay, well, this is just like one little item on my to-do list for how to walk in the way. But 
let's zero in on hospitality and see how it fits into a larger context and the larger context that we find here in Romans 12 and gives us a practical application of spiritual principles that are being discussed. All right, the immediate context, let's read verses 9 through 13. So these are the verses that come just before. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. So when we pull this set of verses apart, there's quite a bit of meaning in there. Very, very full. So we'll kind of unpack it like a suitcase, like Mary Poppins' suitcase when she'd pull all that stuff out of her, her bag. How'd you, how'd you fit all that in there? Verse 9 refers to godly love. Okay, so the context is kicking off right off the bat with godly love, which is agape, right? And says that it has to be real, not faked, okay? It has to be real. And there's a danger there. I, I was thinking about this uh, as I drove up that sometimes we say, well, okay, so love has to be real, so I'm, not, I'm just going to wait until I start feeling it before I do anything. And I'm going to wait, and as soon as I feel the love, then I'm going to do the stuff. Because if I start doing the stuff without feeling the love, then I'm just a, I'm an empty hypocrite, right? I'm just kind of going through the motions. That's danger. I believe that we build the love by doing the things that are part of godly love. So we start off with godly love, agape, and then in verse 10, we've got this word devoted. At least I'm reading that in the NIV. And it says, be devoted to one another. And that word means to have a deep affection, kind of like parents have towards children. Right? The type of love that you find in a family. Right? And then we are introduced to love again. Be devoted to one another in love. Well, this time, love is Philadelphia. So the first time it was mentioned it was agape. The second time it's Philadelphia. Now I've always been of the opinion that Philadelphia love gets gets a has been getting a bad you know it's not been getting enough attention in the past twenty years and everybody wants to focus on godly love agape but brotherly love is very important. Brotherly love is very important in the family of God and should not be pushed to the side and saying well I'm seeking this you know unconditional agape love that's great but brotherly love is also part of walking in the way of God. And so brotherly love is put here, both of them, agape and brotherly love, both mentioned here. And that's the word Philadelphia, right? Which in the Greek language was also a word that was mostly used to talk about family relationships. Hence the brotherly love. I guess sisterly love would roll in there too. <laughs> that's just the way that language has developed. Okay? And so... It's a family kind of description. And then the church took this word and used it to describe love between members of a spiritual brotherhood, if you will. Turn to Hebrews 2. But hold your place. Uh, Hebrews 2. Verses 10 through 15. Just talking about the whole idea of, of having a family relationship with people that you, you know, you're not blood related to. 
Starting in verse 10, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation, of course that's Jesus, perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes the people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So God who makes holy, we who are being made holy, are part of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. And he says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. Okay. Talking here about the, the church, the body of Christ. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here I am and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. Another thing that we see in this section of scriptures, if we're back in Romans, uh, looking at Romans 12, is that there's a phrase here, honor one another, honor one another. And I think there's plenty that we could write about that and talk about honor. And we looked a little bit at that last week when we talked about respect and things like that. And it's not just respect for people in positions of authority. We are to honor one another. Showing preference for one another, right? Loving or preferring the fellow members of the body of Christ over others. And I don't know where you are on the spectrum, but um, how do you feel about people who are part of the body of Christ, people who are your brothers and sisters within the church, as opposed to, I don't know, your friends at work or wherever you hang out, the health, the health club or whatever, I would say that your relationship and your preference should probably be upon the people who are part of the body of Christ. Now, the NIV that I read uh, kind of adds some unnecessary words there. It says, over yourselves, honor, un, honor one another over yourselves. Um, kind of changing the meaning of it so it sounds like it's about being humble. But those words really aren't there. And I, I don't think that's really the focus of that verse. Um, you know, humility is something that we, we see as the walk of God. And it does touch on that in the context in verse 13. Um, but the original word, where are we? Oh, wait a minute. I lost my spot there. Yes, instead we're really talking about holding other members in high esteem. And I think that that relates to you hold someone in high esteem because you know that they have a place in God's family and in God's plan. And if you look at them and consider who are these people that they are called into this the same body and you think about your own calling and you think about what God's doing in your life and you realize, you know, this is what God's doing in these other people's lives too within the congregation. And so honoring one another, I think also involves having a, you know, kind of just being aware that other people, these other people, they're not just there as props in your life to give you opportunities to, you know, practice this or do that or learn lessons. They are also learning these same lessons and they are also on a path towards glory in the family of God. So we give honor to one another. And I hope that we have a perspective on one another that is a little different from the way we look at people that we meet, you know, at work or at the, at the gym or wherever we meet people. Now in verse 11 and verse 12, it says something interesting. Uh, it says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. It's kind of a scriptural way of saying, work at it. Work hard. 
Don't be lazy. Be fired up. Be zealous. All right. And it just points out that what we're talking about takes takes some effort, mental and emotional effort, to accomplish and do what we need to do. As if we were serving God Himself. And we'll come back to that concept a little bit more later. In verse 13, we get back to the original hospitality command. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. The phrase practice hospitality, or in some Bibles that you might have out there, be given to hospitality, comes across as passive. Well, be hospitable. Be hospitable, or be given to hospitality. Like it's just this wave of emotion or feeling or stuff that's going to roll over you once God's spirit takes over your life and starts managing everything. But that is not exactly what's being said there. We lose so much in translation. We lose so much in translation. The original word is doikos, which means to strive for. So you could read it as saying, strive for these things. Work at it. Strive for hospitality. This isn't quite the way it comes across when you read our English translation. Be given to hospitality. Be hospitable. Not the same as strive for hospitality. Pursue. Go after it. You know, reach out and take hold of it and do it. That's what the scriptures are saying. Practice hospitality. Go out and do it. Same way we might see, you know, pursue righteousness. First uh, Timothy 6 verse 11. The same word. Pursue, strive for righteousness. Pursue love. Right? We see these elsewhere in Scripture. And here in Romans 12, we've been given instruction that we should pursue hospitality. We should seek out opportunities to get together, to get to know one another. And that's kind of what I was getting at when I was Uh, rolling into my introduction about getting to know God through getting to know one another. I think this is a mechanism that he is telling us about, saying, okay, you want to know more about me? Get to know, get to know my people. Get to know them. And that's a way that you can get to know me. So sharing time, breaking bread with other people is a very real and very visible example of affection, brotherly love, and even godly love, and it is something that we should actively strive for. Okay? So we have these fruits of the Spirit, joy, hope, patience in trials, faithfulness in prayer, but why hospitality? I mean, hospitality kind of seems mundane. If you think, well, you know, what good is it going to be to just, you know, bake a loaf of bread and get the dishes out and serve it to these people, and, you know, then I have to clean it all up afterwards, and It seems kind of humdrum, mundane. But if you look at the broader context, and to do that, let's back up and go in Romans 12, back up to verse 4. All right, so we're going to broaden, we're going to broaden the context here and read verses 4 to 8. So what, what was Paul talking about before he introduced these ideas like godly love, brotherly love, hospitality? So in verse 4, we get a little bit more of the context. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same functions, and he's using the analogy of the body, you know, where not everyone is the eye, not everyone is the mouth. You know, there's an eye, there's a mouth, there's a foot, there's a hand, there's a knee, there's a, and it all works together, right? 
Imagine life without knees. You might think, wow, my eyes are the most important. Yeah, they're important, but life without your knees is very unpleasant. Just think about it. You wouldn't be able to sit like you're sitting right now if you didn't have knees. You'd have to have... Anyway, <clears throat> I want to get silly about it. But all the parts of the body contribute to the overall function of the body. Okay, so the context. So in Christ, we, through though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, then do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. And then we get into the section that we started off with. I know I'm kind of doing it backwards here. But that's the lead-in. And it's talking about the efficient functioning of the different parts of the body. The body of Christ, the church. And so hospitality is actually part of a larger discussion of spiritual gifts. And when we talk about spiritual gifts, yeah, we, tart, we, we like to focus on uh, speaking and teaching and leading and stuff like that. There's serving in here. Uh, we might focus on prayer, mercy. Hospitality is also included in this overall discussion. Practice hospitality. It is a very, very important part of living out and doing the stuff that are the reality of all the spirituality. That's the point where the rubber hits the road, if you know what I mean. <laughs> um, so hospitality is part of an overall larger discussion of spiritual gifts. Okay? And one, of course, is to serve. And we talk a lot about service, but what does it, what does it really mean to serve other people? To have the heart of a servant. And isn't one of the most obvious ways to serve other people um, hospitality? To invite them into your home for fellowship. And you serve them. It's very literal. It's very real. It's also part of what God's talking about. Now, let's, let's back up the context even more. So we're in Romans 12. Now, how do we get there? Okay, Romans 12, let's back up to verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each one of you. So the even larger context here is becoming a living sacrifice. To sacrifice yourself. Not in the way that you might see in the movies where someone you know, jumps in front of a bullet or does something dramatic and big, but it's about living your life, your daily life as a sacrifice. And we all know that practicing hospitality involves sacrifice, doesn't it? It does, it does. Your sacrifice of your time, your, your wallet, right? You're about a little money. Uh, your carpets, sometimes your carpets, depends who you have over. <laughs> uh, your furniture, you know. No, stop. Especially if you have families with children. <laughs> uh, your personal space, your privacy, your time. It's a sacrifice, right? It's a sacrifice. 
And so again, we see that even in this larger context, hospitality is offered up as a very concrete, real example, very tangible example of the deep spiritual principle of sacrificial living. Sounds so simple, you know, have someone over for a sandwich. It's deep, it's spiritual. Well, it is actually. When you're talking about some of the relationships that you have in the, in the body of Christ, and the reason for that is this isn't just about having your buddies over for a beer. This is something very different. You know that, I hope. So it's offered to us as a very real thing that we can do to walk the walk. All right? And the mention there of not thinking too much of ourselves it is also, I won't go into this, I probably could spend half an hour talking about it, but it's somewhat of an antidote to personal pride. Just chew on that. Think about that. You do have to, you know, tamp your pride down sometimes when you're practicing hospitality. So like I mentioned, hospitality isn't just hanging out with your friends. In fact, it's very far from it. You might end up being great buddies with people that you've met in the church and had over for a meal or something like that, but that's not where we start. We don't wait till the point that, you know, I've decided I like you, I like you, and so you can come over and, you know, I will break bread with you. <laughs> you, not so much. You know what I'm saying? Hospitality within the body of Christ is very different. Friendship, good. We want that. We want that. But it is something that we build on a godly foundation. We're still in Romans 12. So if we read uh, verses 14 through 16, it says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless those and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position and do not be conceited. That's what he says after he talks about hospitality. Don't do it to be a big shot, to show off your money or your fancy house. And I know we, most of us don't have a lot of money or fancy houses, but you get the idea, right? Uh, you know, maybe sometimes if you don't have a lot of money, it could be, well, we're the, we're the smart people. Well, the smart people are all going to get to go, they're going to get together at my house tonight. No, sorry, you're not invited. But think of it that way. This is sort of a postscript. After saying practice hospitality, it goes on to say, you know, live in harmony with other people and don't be conceited. Don't be too full of yourself. <clears throat> now that word hospitality, you know, I like, I like to look at the Greek words. Well, I'm going to do more of it. The original word translated hospitality is philonexia. And please don't correct me on my Greek pronunciation because I know it's wrong. Uh, <laughs> I try. <laughs> I try my best. I don't know that any of us really know how they pronounced it 2,000 years ago. I think that's just a bit much. So I'm probably just as right as anybody else. Uh, it, that's a word that's made up of two parts. It's a compound word. Philos, meaning love, and xenos, meaning Aliens, strangers, guests, uh, like xenophobia. I don't know if you've ever heard of that word, but it's, you know, it's fear of people. Uh, but hospitality is a compound word, philonexia or philoxenia, that means love of strangers, love of others. All right? And that's kind of why some have chosen to interpret the scriptural instructions on hospitality to be about ancient customs about bringing strangers into your home or about um, dealing with uh, 
ministers on, on the road who, you know, you never met. But, well, you know, Minister X, Y, or Z is going to be in town, so someone needs to put them up and things like that. A couple of the interpretations that I, I started off with, you know, where people have taken hospitality and they turned it into something kind of different from what we're seeing in Romans 12. But that's where it comes from, this love of strangers, which is a very, you know, literal interpretation of the word. And definitely people back in the day did that, right? That was something that people did. But I think what we're looking at here is something that is based on the context of where we find the word used in Scripture and how we see God's word applying it as an expression of love, service, and sacrificial living among members of the body of Christ. I mentioned the other word, Philadelphia, right? Which is uh, love between kin, love between people who are related, right? But the church then took that word and used it to talk about love within the body of Christ. You know, I'm not related to you, but I'm supposed to have Philadelphia love towards you because we're part of the same spiritual body, right? So the church took this word and, you know, used it for this broader spiritual principle. Well, in the same way, this word uh, hospitality, love of strangers, okay, love of aliens, right, can be just interpreted as love of those who are different from you, the others. And you find that in the body of Christ, people who are they're different from you. And part of getting to know God is getting to know them, right? Getting to know those, those who are different from you, alien to you, but are also brothers and sisters in Christ. My experience in the church has kind of been one long, crazy trip of getting to know a very wide gamut of people who I never, ever, ever would have run across if I had not come into the church of God. And I would dare say that that's an experience that you would probably be able to say, yeah, I've kind of noticed that too. I've really rubbed shoulders with a lot of different types of people because of being part of the body of Christ. People, I know, people who are older than me, way younger than me, um, people of different cultural backgrounds. I'm trying to think of all the different ways. Of people with different habits, different education levels, different financial levels. I mean, we've got a real cross-section when you think about all those things. And we get to know one another. How? We get to know one another really through hospitality. <clears throat> and Paul had to remind his congregations about this kind of stuff all the time. No Jew, no Greek no slave, no free, etc. because they had a real mixed bag of people too. And they had to treat one another well. They had to get to know one another. And they had to be at, to the point where they were able to sacrifice for one another, which is tough. It's hard to kind of, it's hard to do hard things for people you hardly know. You get to know them though. It kind of builds on itself. The second hospitality command would be in 1 Peter 4 verse 9. Let's take a look at that. A lot of the same principles are at play, but there are a few different nuances that we can draw out. 1 Peter 4, verse 9, Peter writing to the church, says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. The second command regarding hospitality, and I like putting it as a command because it's like, do this stuff. The second command regarding hospitality is also in a larger context. And we can learn about it by looking at the context, okay? And that context includes the practice of love and the use of spiritual gifts, which we saw in the previous example, but throws in some additional thoughts for us to consider. 
Now, the close connection to love is, is worth, worth looking at again. That's established in the preceding verse. Okay, we were in verse 9, so verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So there's a little bit of the context there. Instead of just plucking this verse out of the universe and saying, aha, we get a little bit more understanding of what's meant by this by looking at well, what, what, what was just said before that. What was just said? Forgot to turn my phone sound off. <clears throat> okay. In Romans, the exhortation to love one another that we read was supplemented by affection, honoring one another, thinking of each other as a spiritual family. And here, love is amplified with one of these words. Uh, I guess it would be an adjective or no, an adverb. Um, and the word there is, it says, love each other deeply. The underlying Greek there uses this word, eketnes. All right. Again, excuse my attempt to pronounce Greek. Um, you might find that if you're reading the King James, the New King James, fervently. Love fervently, okay? Um, mine says deeply, love deeply. But the Greek word is eketenes. And it's the base of words that we have in English, like extensively, extensively. So we might think of that as actually saying love one another extensively. Well, that sounds weird. <laughs> what does that mean? Okay, maybe that we think of the love that we work at and build as something that's broad or something that is long, long-lasting, something that has a duration. Or we could look at it as without ceasing. So I kind of think the translation is a little weak there, and I think a really good one might be love one another without stopping without ceasing, continually. Like we read elsewhere in scripture where it says, pray continually, pray always, love always. So love one another extensively, love one another deeply, or love one another fervently. We tend to take the word fervently and we think of you know, someone who's really on fire and they're really worked up into sort of this emotional pitch, right? Which isn't what, we're, I don't think that's what we're talking about. You know, that I just go, I love you. And I think you kind of weird someone out when you did that, but... The word, if you look at the word, what it means there in Greek, it's saying extensively, deeply, all right, without stopping. And there, granted, I mean, there's lots of reasons to stop loving someone. You know, I come up with them all the time. How about you? <laughs> I don't like that. Well, don't let that stop you. So this is just another way of saying love without giving up. Love without giving up. Love one another without giving up. And we need to, I think, keep that in our minds because it is very easy to give up. Very easy to give up. Because other people give you so many reasons to give up. But you, captain of your own ship, don't give up. That's all I can say. That's all I can say. But wait, there's more. There's more. Um, we are told that this kind of persistent and persevering love comes with a blessing and covers a multitude of sins. Love without giving up, that covers a multitude of sins. That's cool. I like that. I like that. I don't want to make too much of it. Now, I would, I would add, a, you know, like on a theological sidebar, I'd say, I don't think that means that God allows sin to be hidden or, or covered over or done away because of 
you know, things that we do necessarily, but it is in some ways covered over by the, the blood of sacrificial living. So it's, a, it's an analogy. I wouldn't want to make too much of it. We know that sin is forgiven by the sacrifice of Christ, but it does say here that loving one another without giving up fervently covers a multitude of sins. So because it's God's word, we've got to think about it. What does that mean? Well, it could be the sacrificial living that you go through. Sin is forgiven through sacrifice. You might want to refer to James 5, verse 20, Proverbs 10, verse 12. Give that some thought. You want to come back and debate me on that? <laughs> I think I'm up for it, but I will, uh, I'll let you have that as kind of like a personal assignment if you want. Um, hospitality's connection to spiritual gifts of service is also found in this section, verse 10, which is the verse that comes after, the verse where it says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Then verse 10 says, each of you should use whatever gift you receive to serve others as faithful servants of God's grace in its various forms. So hospitality, once again, is in this larger context of, it's, this, is, it's, this is the stuff you people can do. It's not just about um, preaching or teaching or, you know, who, who does the best job of managing the congregation, the kitchen, the sound system, the card table, and things like that. Hospitality is also part of the mix here. And it's a very important part of walking the way of God and also building the life of the body of Christ. So we've got a couple of new concepts. I mentioned those, you know. Connection to love, well, we already touched on that. Spiritual service, you know, that's just a repeat of what we had in Romans, right? There are a couple of new things where we read in verse 9, it says, hospitality is to be pursued one to another. Offer hospitality to one another, or one to another, if you're reading the King James. Which really nails down the idea that hospitality for the church is not lodging strangers who come by and knock on your door some rainy night, but it is about what we do one to another. I'm not saying that if someone comes by on a rainy night and needs your help, you turn them away because they're not part of the church, although I would say be careful. But this is the, what I'm getting at is that the scriptures are talking about life within the body of Christ. That other stuff, that's good, but I think people, sometimes they take these scriptures and they say, well, that's, that's, that's the way that I open up my doors to every stranger out there. But the focus is on the body of Christ. One to another. We also learn that hospitality is to be pursued without complaining, without grumbling. Okay, it seems simple enough. It'd be kind of weird to say, well, come on over to my place and I'll make you a big meal. And then they come and you complain about how hard it is to have, have a meal. Well, you don't know what trouble it was to put this meal together. I mean, it sounds dumb, but honestly, folks, I can see myself doing that. So you don't complain about it. Right? You know what I'm talking about? It says it there in Scripture. I'm not just dreaming this stuff up. It says, show hospitality without grumbling about it. Right? Ah, I wish God hadn't written this in there. This is such a pain. Couldn't he have come up with something better? No. It says, show hospitality without complaining. Right? Think of the story of, of uh, Mary and Martha. Okay? They were showing hospitality, weren't they? Was there any complaining going on? Yeah, you betcha. There was complaining going on. So there you've got an example right from Scripture. Mary and Martha, hey, 
you know, I'm doing all the work here. Right? Show hospitality without complaining. Okay, if you want to show, you know, if you're going to show hospitality, you do it without complaining. Not drawing attention to how hard it was, you know, how much effort you put into it, how much money you spent, how much it's going to cost you to clean your carpets after their children with chocolatey hands are gone. <laughs> yes, I meant you. <laughs> We've had plenty of chocolatey stains on our cloud. Our chocolate's the worst. Just got to tell you, wine, bad. Chocolate, really bad too. So anyway, practice hospitality without complaining. Now you thought, that's kind of weird, but as soon as I brought up the Mary and Martha thing, you thought, yeah, I see what he's getting at there. That's a good one. Um, besides the issues of maybe cost, time, privacy, there's another complaint that I think has the potential to come up, which would be, well, and I've heard this one, well, <clears throat> we used to be hospitable, and we used to invite people over, but we never got invited back, so we stopped. Ever heard that? You ever heard that? Yeah, that's complaining. You've shown hospitality and now you're grumbling about it. All right, that's one. Um, another one, well, it's not fair. I, I end up doing all the work. Why don't people invite me over once in a while? <laughs> you're laughing because we do that. Hospitality without complaining, all right? Let's remember here the context is persistent, persevering, extensive love towards the brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Okay, the larger context of Peter's letter. The larger context, if you, if you read First Peter, the larger context is actually suffering and persecution. This is the backdrop of the people who were reading this letter, you know, when the ink was still fairly fresh on the parchment. They were suffering and they were being persecuted. Um, Summed up nicely in the phrase uh, you, know, you see in the previous verses where the people of God are insulted or reproached for the name of Christ, like in verse 14. And so these people were facing all these bitter trials, humiliation from friends, family, neighbors, employers, because of the changes that they were making in their lives. They were changing. You know, we think that we've got changes. You know, we've had to make changes today. You know, someone might come into the church and next thing you know, uh, well, guys, I can't go out with you on Wednesday night to the strip club anymore. Because, you know, things have changed. Though you lose friends. Or, I uh, can't, uh, well, you know, that party on Friday night. No. Got to opt out of that. Things that happen at work, things like that. You know. Fervent love, fellowship, togetherness, is something that they could use and we can use, and I hope that we do, to help others through the storm, through the losses. Because there are losses associated with what we're doing. You know that, and I know that. There's stuff that you've given up. Now, we like to focus on, well, I've given it up for something better, right? The joy that's before us. But it is hard to give stuff up. At least I think so. I don't know. Maybe it's great for you. But it's hard to give things up, I think. And we use these times when we're together. Hospitality, breaking bread together, getting to know one another. It helps us get through these times. So it has a very practical purpose. And I think that maybe that's why Peter popped that in there because of what was going on in that congregation or 
actually, I don't think Peter's to a congregation. I think it's more like to the church at large. Now, hospitality that extends love and service and sacrifice is not going to keep people in the body of Christ. It is not enough, all right? In and of itself, me inviting you over to my house isn't going to make or break your relationship with God. But it can help. It can help. Nothing takes away a person's freedom of choice, but it can certainly help. Just like we write the cards to people who are suffering and sick. We're not, we're not healing them with the cards, but we're helping because they know that there are others out there. The third hospitality command, Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, verses 1 through 2. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Now, this is one of the ones where it gets kind of weird. All right? And partly it's, partly it's because of the way the translation's done, but then the translation's done a certain way because of things that are indeed in there. When it says, I think if you've got the, um, the RSV or the ASV, you might have it translated as entertain strangers. What does it say in the King James? Uh, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. No? No one's got the King James? Well, the point is this. It's, it doesn't say hospitality to strangers. It basically says um, that word, hospitality, which means uh, love of strangers. But in this verse, they've broken it out. Instead of just saying, do not forget to show hospitality, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels, it breaks it out and says hospitality to strangers. Same word, but in the other places, it was just hospitality. Here it's hospitality to strangers, okay? So this, I told you, this one gets a little weird. This is where some of the ideas about hospitality come from, that it's all about opening your home up to strangers. It doesn't say that. The word strangers is built right into the word hospitality. Like I said, it's a compound word, love of strangers, right? But here it's translated hospitality to strangers. So it's in there, but why does it need to be drawn out like this? Well, I think the reason is because of the hospitality to angels idea, okay? Someone reads that, they're translating, and they think, oh, it must mean hospitality to outside, you know, people that we don't know, never seen. Who are you, friend? You open your door, well, come on in and have a sandwich. Because right? that's kind of where the, some of the odder ideas about hospitality come from, my opinion. Also based on what I've read. Okay? So the approach that's used to translate it here is most likely due to the intriguing idea introduced by entertaining angels. Okay? Clearly that is harkening back to Abraham and Sarah, for example, uh, Lot, Gideon, possibly the parents of, Saul, of uh, Samson, when angels appeared to them in the form of human beings and they, you know, they, they served them dinner. Is the intent of this admonition, this third hospitality command, uh, that we expect supernatural wonders to happen at any moment from strangers, so we should invite strangers into our home because they might be an angel. Because right? that's what some people take this and they say, yeah, that's what God's telling me. I should bring strangers into my home because they might be angels. So certainly stuff like that can happen. I'm not saying it can't. But are there other lessons for us in this idea? I think there are. Let's take a look at it, okay? Once again, the context provides us with, I think, some understanding and hopefully some clarity on this. Um, once again, Philo 
Xeno, or Philonexia, I don't know which it's pronounced as, or hospitality, is closely associated with expression of brotherly love. Right? Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality. Leave out the two strangers part because it doesn't really need to be there. So we see again that close connection. Brotherly love, hospitality. Who are your brothers and sisters? Why would it talk about brotherly love? So who are we talking about when we're talking about extending hospitality? Brothers, sisters, aren't we? Isn't it the same stuff? Again, hospitality is among one another, right? Among the people of God, spiritual brothers and sisters. So if I ask you, brother, or you, sister, over to my home after Sabbath this week, should I expect that you're really an angelic being? Well, no, I don't. You might be. That'd be kind of, that'd be interesting. But I don't expect that. I don't, I don't expect that. I think that there might be another reason why that is put on there. It could be that the book of Hebrews here is using a very well-known, very dramatic, attention-grabbing biblical event to get us thinking about a broader principle. Okay? Perhaps the idea presented here is an appreciation that pursuing hospitality opens up the potential for unexpected blessings. You know, be hospitable to your brothers and sisters. You never know what's going to happen. Hopefully it's something good. <laughs> and I think the idea is that we open up for unexpected blessings. And I'm not going to bring you over to my house thinking, well, maybe, maybe she's an angel. Never, I wouldn't have guessed it. But I bring you into my house. I want to, we want to talk. We're in the body of Christ. We have a spiritual connection. Who knows? Something great could happen. There could be some wonderful blessing that comes from this. Okay? For example, sharing the wisdom of others. Okay? Encouragement. Getting a different perspective on things. That happens, doesn't it? Humor. Always good. Humor. Fellowship. Getting to know people's needs for prayer. Things like that. Spiritual blessings can come to you. Which really, you know, those would be as good as the person turning out to be an angel by surprise. You could consider the example of Jesus, who was often a guest or a recipient of hospitality in the home of Mary, Martha. And he was a blessing to those people. He was a blessing to them. Because of what he talked about and what they said and what he taught. So we don't, uh, we don't pursue hospitality for immediate reward in the flesh. Right? I think that hopefully is, is obvious. Uh, we don't have a quid pro quo. Okay, well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to invite you over on Wednesday, and then you invite me over you know, next month. That way we're covered. All right? and, but, but this time you need to give me a steak, because I made you a steak last time, and then you gave me macaroni and cheese. So this is not flying here, right? We, got a, we have a hospitality arrangement here. You, I make a steak, you make a steak, right? That's not how we do hospitality, is it? It's not a quid pro quo. Hospitality is sacrificial living and giving. Although you can make me a steak anytime. <laughs> not opposed to steaks. If I had to choose between a steak and macaroni and cheese, I'm on, the, I'm on the steak side. But you, I hope you get the point. I hope you get the point. It's not about a quid pro quo. I'm going to invite someone over because I want something good to happen. 
And even if we think about the spiritual blessings, we don't do it because, well, I want to get some of those spiritual blessings. And I know they've got it. I know you've got it. So you come over to my house and, you know, dish out the spiritual blessings for me. I'm on. No, we just extend hospitality to get to know the members of the body of Christ. Something might happen. They might be a spiritual blessing. You don't know. That's, I think, what the scripture is getting at there. They might be angels. It's just a very dramatic biblical way of saying, you never know what spiritual blessings can happen. <clears throat> if you read Matthew 25, and I, I guess I'm going to do that. I think we have a, a, enough time. We didn't have a sermon yet. Uh, Matthew 25. And not a hospitality command, but very similar. Think about it. Matthew 25, verses 34 through 40 says, Then the king will say to those on his right, this is the famous parable of the sheep and the goats. Come you who are blessed by my father and take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For when I was hungry and you gave me something to eat, for, sorry, for, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you took a look after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you, sick or in prison, and go to visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whenever you did for one of these, the least brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. I want to draw your attention to a little phrase there at the very end. What does he say about who you're doing this towards? When you do it to the brothers and the sisters. And we tend to take Matthew 25 and we think, okay, well, that means that I should go into the prisons and I should start doing, you know, preaching to prisoners, whether they want to hear it or not. And I don't say that that's a bad thing. I think that's a great thing. They need that more than probably anyone else. But it does say, when did, when did all this stuff happen, Lord? When you did it to the least of the brothers and sisters. So once again, the scripture's focus is on the body of Christ. And please don't take that to mean that I'm saying, therefore, have, you know, don't do anything good for anyone outside of the church. Please don't take that away from what I'm saying. But I am saying that scripture says, focus on the body of Christ. And if you feel that way and you are that way, I think it's going to overflow into other areas of your life. But the scriptures focus on us. Not that we exclude the world and build a wall around our church but that we do focus on one another. It starts there. Let's put it that way. It starts there. Hopefully it won't end there. But it starts there. Anyway, got a couple of helpful hints for hospitality that I want to pass on. You might find these helpful. You might not. Have a plan. Here's one. Have a plan. Um, spur of the moment is good, but oftentimes things work out better if you prepare a bit in advance. Give people an idea. Invite them in advance. All right? Uh, especially if you're um, going to be doing something on the Sabbath afternoon or evening, something like that. Another good way is to have goals, right? Have goals. And we see this in so many areas of life. Make a list. Look at the church directory that I handed out last week. I gave you a list of everybody in the, in the congregation. Take a look at that. Make a list for yourself. Try and work through the body of Christ. Get to know these people, all right? Make some goals for yourself. Think about who might benefit or be uplifted by time spent fellowshipping. Become interested in people's lives. That's number three. Become interested in people's lives. Ask interesting questions about their life. 
their faith experiences and stuff like that. Fourth, if you're um, really shy or maybe you're really vain or maybe you're really poor or some of these reasons, pray. Pray that God will help you overcome these things so that they don't stop you from practicing hospitality because none of those are valid excuses. None of them are valid excuses for not practicing hospitality. So many things that, you know, you, I might be wired a certain way, like the shyness thing, but it doesn't get me off from walking in the way that God has instructed. And he's instructing us, remember folks, he's giving us these things for our own good. So we, we become happier, more joyful, and that we will have the potential to have a happy and joyful life in the eternal family of God. It's not just mind control, it's for our own good. All right, number five, don't try to be Martha Stewart, <laughs> okay? Martha Stewart's kind of gone out of style. Uh, the, I, I've done this sermon before. I don't know who the new uh, entertaining guru is, but Martha Stewart is the one that comes to mind. Um, hospitality is not the same thing as entertaining, okay? And entertaining is great, and I love being entertained just as much as I love the steaks. And if you put out a really fancy you know, spread on the table and you were really good at it. I love that. But it's not the same thing as hospitality. And they're not, well, they're not, they're not always the same thing. They can be. There's a lot of overlap. What my point is, it doesn't have to be a big hoop-de-doo in order for it to be sincere, godly hospitality. And that's very important, I think. Because if we think, well, I can't, I can't be hospitable because, well, the house is a mess. And there's always junk lying all over the place because of the kids. <laughs> Or, I don't have good enough food. Or, whatever. Okay, don't try to be Martha Stewart. Don't focus on your awesome food, or your awesome house, or your awesome decorating skills, or whatever. It's about sharing yourself with others. It's about learning more about the people of God. Okay, so, in conclusion, recap. We are told to pursue, which means to seek out opportunities for hospitality with one another, the body of Christ. Hospitality is an expression of godly love, agape love. Hospitality is an expression of brotherly love, affection, devotion. Hospitality is an expression of spiritual service, spiritual gifts of service. The sacrifice of hospitality or the sacrifice involved in hospitality is part of being a living sacrifice. They were, they were tied together in that section of scripture that we read through. And hospitality does open up the potential for wonderful spiritual rewards. So hospitality, like I said at the beginning, is not just a nice idea. It's not just a nice idea. It's actually something very practical that God has given us to grow into the kind of person that we want to be and to put on the mind of Christ.